A note for listeners, this episode contains discussion of alleged child sexual abuse. Please listen with caution and care. Hey, Maggie. Hey, Jason. You know, I'm so glad you're focusing on women this season. Absolutely. And so many of those women are in prison for crimes that never happened. Crimes that never even happened. Yeah. And I think it's especially issues that women deal with, you know, being persecuted for being gay or, you know, being sex trafficked. But I think in these instances and these wrongful convictions, especially with the no crime convictions, um, it, it happens to women a lot. They like you being arrested for sexual abusing Maria Medina's kids. I said, please find out the truth because I didn't do none of these things. Oh, are you sure? Are you sure? I said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Can you please find out the truth? From Lava for Good, this is Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Today, Carla Bidet. In late January of 2002, 24-year-old Carla Bidet was invited to visit her ex-girlfriend, Maria Medina, in Armona, in California's San Joaquin Valley. It was Maria's birthday, and Carla loved spending time with Maria's four young children, so she accepted the invitation. She stayed for a week or so, and then went back home to Los Angeles. Shortly after arriving home, the police came and brought Carla in for questioning. Maria had called the police and said that Carla molested three of her children during the visit. Carla was in absolute shock, but knowing her relationship with the children, she believed the situation would resolve itself. But as an undocumented immigrant and a lesbian, Carla would have to navigate both the allegations and prejudice against her identity. She didn't stand a chance. She was arrested and charged with multiple accounts of child sexual abuse. After only two days of trial and deliberations, the jury convicted her. She was sentenced to 45 years to life. Who is Carla Bidet? Carla is just a happy spirit. That's what I am, you know, a happy spirit and somebody who cares and loves people and just love being, being alive and being me. I'm Carla Bidet from Honduras, 44 years old. And how long were you incarcerated? 17 years. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Carla Bidet was born in Honduras on June 17, 1977, to Julio Francisco Salgado and Sonia Maricela. In a little town called El Progreso Lloro. Carla grew up the fifth of seven children. She was especially close with her youngest sibling. My name is Dulce Bade. I am Carla's little sister. Dulce, can you tell me what growing up in Honduras was like with Carla? Well, when I was in Honduras, I was 10 or 12 years old when Carla left my country. And I remember her. She was happy. She was, as, as long as I remember, she was so caring about us. Um, my nieces and nephews, they were babies. And, you know, as a family, I love her. What do you remember, you know, when she left? Because Carla left to go to the United States. I mean, did you understand what was going on or why she was leaving at that time? Uh, not at that time. I realized when I get older, oh my God, I'm about to cry. I know she leaves because our country, it was hard for her. I do remember that um, she was fighting a lot with my mom and oh my goodness I'm sorry Carla wasn't happy in Honduras when I was growing up I knew that I was different and uh, I was like six, seven years old. I knew I was different. And then I started knowing that I didn't like boys because everybody was like, oh, you like this boy? Do you like this boy? And I'm like, no, I like the girl, <laughs> you know? <laughs> From a young age, Carla knew she was gay, but in Honduras, she couldn't be herself. Being in that country, you cannot say too much about your your sexuality because it's just uh, Catholic, you know, and they, they, they don't... They don't like gay people over there. You can get killed, you can get raped, you can get do a lot of things. Carla says from the time she was 15 to 20 years old, she was harassed by local gangs. The gangs from the, from the uh, town in there, they were like, okay, so you look like you're gay and stuff like that. So they were trying to they rape me and trying to, you know, abuse me or stuff like that and fight me or whatever. So I decided to leave. That was my time to leave because if not, I would have got killed over there. So, and I came to United States when I was 20 years old. In January 1999, Carla left everything she knew in Honduras to journey to the United States. That was scary. I went, I went to the border of uh, El Salvador and then from El Salvador to Guatemala, Guatemala to Mexico, Mexico to United States. 
So when I when I'm crossing the border, there's a lot of things going on, and that you you get uh, assaulted by people in there with the mask on, and I was like eight days without eating. My feet were bleeding from walking so much. I didn't shower. I had even lice in my head, you know, and it ticks in my body because I was sleeping on the barns. I was sleeping wherever I can sleep. At one point, I was so tired that uh, I was like, what should I do? But, you know, I didn't want to go back because I knew what was going to happen. So I keep pushing forward and saying, no, you got to you do it, you got to do it. Carla ended up crossing through the desert with some food and water, but very little. She became incredibly thirsty, and at some point, she found a pot of dirty water that cows used. Would they do their, their necessities, and I'm like, I'm going to have to drink this oh. water. So that's what I did. I, I went and got the water, and I started drinking that water, even though it was gross, but it was, I feel like I was dehydrated, completely dehydrated, because it was, it was hot. Finally, Carla made it through the desert and into the United States. She arrived in February of 1999, and she felt safe from the dangers she faced in Honduras. As the year wore on, Carla settled into her new life as an openly gay woman in the United States. She was looking forward to having a family and kids and just a normal life. She started dating, too. One night, she was in Armona and went out to a bar with a friend. And there, she met someone. I was just to go play pool because I like to play pool. And then I met Maria there. At first, Carla wasn't interested in pursuing anything with Maria. But Maria was persistent. Finally, I got with her, you know, so it's like, finally I said, okay, you know, it's like, let's do it. So I started dating her, and then we started dating, and then I moved in with her. She was living at her house with four kids, and so I moved in with her. And you wanted kids? You wanted a family? I wanted a family, and she had kids. So at first it was happy? At first, yes. Carla and Maria enjoyed their time together for the first few months. Carla loved the four kids, Tony, Karina, Graciela, and Fabian. She loved being a mom to them. But things between her and Maria eventually started to change. But And then everything became like an obsession or no, I don't know what it, what it was, but it was like controlling, more controlling. And it's like she was not allowing me to talk to my family in the phone. Because not, not everybody from my family was here, she's my brother, but I was calling Honduras. She was not allowing me to talk to my family. She was not allowing me to go to the store with by myself. I had to go with one of her kids. And then she was questioning the kids when I was coming back from the store. Like if I talked to a girl, if I did this, you know. And then, and then she was threatening me to call immigration if I did something to return me back to my country. Carla lived like this for months. After about a year and a half, they broke up. At this point, Carla says Maria was a heavy methamphetamine user, and many aspects of their relationship had become unbearable. By this time, Carla's mother had also moved to the U.S., which helped Carla to realize home wasn't necessarily with Maria. So I left. I left from her house to my mom's house back to L.A. Some time went by, then in late January of 2002, Maria invited Carla back to celebrate her birthday. 
Carla was excited to see the children who she cared for dearly, so she accepted the invitation. She stayed there for a little over a week and then returned to L.A. And then an afternoon, my mom was telling me, Maria been calling you. Maria been calling you. I said, okay. So I called her back. I said, yes. She said, you abused my kids. I said, excuse me? And she's like, yes. I said, you should be calling the police. You don't call me. You call the police. And then Carla says Maria threatened her. She said, if, I, if you're not with me, I will kill you or you will be in prison forever. That's what the two threats that she gave me. And then so I said, well, you can do whatever, you know. I know I'm innocent and you can do your part, you know. So later that week, she did. She uh, called the police and then later that week, uh, two officers came to uh, visit me at L.A., The officers took her down to the station for questioning under the allegations that she abused Maria's kids. They told her the kids said that while Maria was at the store with her 11-year-old son, Tony, Carla sexually molested the other children, Karina, Graciela, Fabian, who were seven, six, and four at the time. The detectives who interviewed her were Jeff Torres and Mark Lusk, but their questions were not what you'd expect. The detectives asked more about Carla's sex life with Maria than they did about her relationship with the kids. She says they asked her if she and Maria used any sex toys and what kinds of toys they were. How did you feel when they were asking you about your sex toys and your sex life? It was very embarrassing, especially because they were all men. It was, I'm the only female in there, so they were all men and they were all laughing. When they were interrogating me in the room, it was like laughing and just talking among themselves in English. I didn't know because the translator was not translating what they were saying. Carla needed a translator present because at the time she didn't speak much English. So they were just laughing about stuff and I'm like looking like, you know, so it was very embarrassing. They were so like eager to know things to how, how do you use it and, and how many times and what do you guys did and it's like, It was just very uncomfortable. So they were telling me that I abused kids and three kids and Maria and like that. And then I was like, whoa, you know, I said, please find out the truth because I didn't do none of these things. And then so, oh, are you sure? Are you sure? I said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Can you please find out the truth? And then so they let me go from there. Carla left and went back to her mom's house. About a month later, she says Maria decided to visit her in L.A. despite her allegations against Carla. I was going to the store with Maria when police came all everywhere, you know, and they like, they like, come in my name. And then so, so police and everybody was just there, you know, and I'm like, okay, they're like, you're being arrested for sexual abusing Maria Medina's kids. I'm like... Okay, so she was there with me, and then they put handcuffs on me, and they put me in the police car. On March 29th, 2002, Carla was read her Miranda rights and officially arrested and held in custody. On May 3rd, she was charged with multiple counts of child sexual abuse. Carla's little sister, Dulce, knows she didn't do this. I know she has a pure heart, and and she... She's not capable of do a horrible thing like that. She was caring about us, about my nieces and nephews. I, I don't believe that they, they could think that my sister was, was capable to do 
that horrible thing. This episode is underwritten by AIG, a leading global insurance company. AIG is committed to corporate social responsibility and to making a positive difference in the lives of its employees and in the communities where we work and live. In light of the compelling need for pro bono legal assistance and in recognition of AIG's commitment to criminal and social justice reform, the AIG pro bono program provides free legal services and other support to underrepresented communities and individuals. Carla's trial started June 26, 2002. The prosecutor was Anna Ferguson, who called Nurse Georgianne Green to the stand. The nurse testified that when she examined the children, the medical evidence showed they were molested. By this point, Child Protective Services had taken all four of Maria's children from her. They were now living with foster families. Only Karina and Graciela testified during the trial, but their testimonies were largely inconsistent with each other and what they had previously reported. Karina said the day she and the other children were left alone with Carla, she saw Carla take off Fabian's clothes and touch his, quote, private. She also made a number of other, even more serious allegations about Carla's actions. But when Graciela took the stand, the six-year-old said Carla didn't touch her and that she had never seen her touch the other children in a bad way. Jerry Holtgren was Carla's court-appointed defense attorney. Although they had momentum after Graciela's eye-opening testimony, he failed to cross-examine her and other witnesses. He didn't even consult or present any experts in support of Carla or to refute the alleged medical evidence testified to by Nurse Green. Carla says he was a terrible attorney. He was always telling me, I'm going to go visit you to talk with you about the case. Never did. Not one time. The only time that he spoke with me was at the moment of my trial, five minutes prior to that, and he said, are you innocent? I said, 100%. This is what he said. My wife... It's at the hospital, so my head is over there. That's what he said. When when he said he was his head was on his wife's hospital, not on me, I was like, whoa, you know. Holkren would eventually be disbarred for reasons unrelated to Carla's case. Without a rigorous defense, Carla was unsurprisingly found guilty after only two days of trial. She was sentenced to 45 years to life. When you're in court and they sentence you, you are being sentenced not for being a murderer or a robber, for being a child molester. Yes. What does that feel like? It was horrible. It was painful because I love this kid so much. And I was wanted to be a parent. And then she's thinking that you abuse a, a, somebody so innocent. And then they were saying that I did that. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When she got to prison, Carla felt hopeless. She had escaped Honduras to come to the U.S. to be free of persecution, only to be arrested for a crime she maintains she did not commit. I was angry. I was angry not at the kids. I was angry at the law for not finding out the truth. So I was angry at the United States because they said, this is United States. You know, and I'm, if I'm talking about Honduras, I will, they can do whatever they want. But in the United States, they, they found out the truth and they didn't. Her initial years in prison were bleak. Living in that environment was scary, and she still didn't speak any English, so she couldn't read any of her own documents to figure out how to help herself. By this time, Dulce had also made it to the U.S., and she was doing her best to try and help her sister out. I tried to look for help. I tried to hire an attorney. But when I get here, and I went to that first appointment with the attorney, they say, I need $50,000 to start with the case. And that was super hard. What did you what did you do when this attorney said $50,000? Did you think I can get that or did you think, you know, we're doomed? At that time I I couldn't do anything. I was I was new to the country. I didn't know about GoFundMe. I didn't know about anything. I just say I cannot afford that amount of money. We work really hard, but we cannot afford $50,000. But Carla knew one way she might be able to get help. Had you ever thought about wrongful convictions before this? Uh, no, never. So it's, I learned that when I, when I got to prison. And then so I used to watch uh, CSI and 
stuff like that and then you know in the in Spanish of course and then I always heard about Innocence Project and you know but I, I didn't think it was true. At the prison Carla made a connection with the California Coalition for Women's Prisoners. She asked them to send her information on organizations that might help her. So they did. They sent me a full pack of a lot of Innocence Projects you know but at that moment I didn't speak any English. So I saved that paper. I saved the paperwork until I learned English. Eventually, Carla settled in, and her perseverance kept her moving forward, even while in prison. I overcame every obstacle in there. Is It was up to me, you know, and while I was in there, I didn't let the walls consume me. I allowed my, myself to expand myself in there, like, get into I I am facilitator for domestic violence I earned my high school diploma and my AA degree in arts and humanities she also found a purpose in offering friendship to other incarcerated women so that was was keeping me sane in there seeing other people smiling and she's talking to people and then she's like you know a lot of times I had a friend who said do you know her? I don't need to know her. What about she's going through something? I'm just going to say, hi, good morning, how are you? You can change somebody's life in that moment, you know? So that was my, my, my thing was changing somebody's life every day. Carla was doing okay enough in prison, but the rest of her family was broken without her. Oh, my goodness. It is hard for me thinking about my sister in that place. Not being with us on Christmas, on my birthdays. We couldn't hug her when my dad passed. Not sharing with her a lot of beautiful moments that we had when I had my first kid. It hurts my heart. Despite the distance from her family, Carla continued to strive, and that included learning English. With language as her tool, she was finally able to read the research documents on Innocence Projects she saved all those years ago. And when she did, she reached out to the Northern California Innocence Project. My name is Catherine Boyle, and I'm a volunteer attorney with the Northern California Innocence Project. Catherine is one of the attorneys overseeing Carla's case at the NCIP along with its co-founder and executive director, Linda Starr. Catherine says the first thing they did when they read Carla's letter was to try to obtain as much information about the case as they could. But unfortunately, the only thing they could get was the trial transcripts. Even though there was not very much information that we had, was that it looked like she had been wrongfully convicted and that there was bias against her based on her sexual orientation as well as her status as an undocumented immigrant. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? So how was there bias against her in both of those ways? Yes. So um, the bias against her it kind of pervaded the case in many different ways. One of the things that came out in the transcript was that both Carla's own attorney as well as the district attorney 
emphasized her status as a lesbian and the fact that she was in a lesbian relationship throughout the trial, even though it was totally irrelevant to the the issues at hand. So that was that was one factor. There were also just assumptions about her based on her undocumented immigrant status. Um, and one of the ways we found that out is as we were investigating her case, we did have an opportunity to talk to her attorney from the preliminary hearing who at first did not remember her, but then um, when we jogged his memory by saying that she was from Honduras and speaks Spanish, he very disparagingly said, oh, the little gay girl, and she wouldn't have um, been able to commit the crime if she hadn't been here illegally. Given the circumstances, the NCIP took Carla's case, believing in her innocence and botched trial. The younger daughter testified that Carla didn't touch her at all. And the older daughter testified inconsistently with what she had said at um, other times. And yet Carla's attorney did not um, pick up on any of that, nor did he uh, cross-examine the nurse expert or get an expert on behalf of Carla to testify that um, there was no basis in medical science for what the nurse was attesting to. Was there a reason why he didn't call his own expert? (laughs) Gosh, we would love to know that. Um, (laughs) um, I don't know. I I have to think part of it was the fact of there just seemed to be tunnel vision as to Carla's guilt throughout the process. And as I said, partially due to the fact of her her status. Um, I also have to say it probably had to do with some financial reasons. By this, Catherine is referring to how little Carla's lawyer was earning from the state for defending her. It was a short two-day trial. They get paid a flat fee. And so I think there was not much incentive for him to really investigate the case in in the way it needed to be investigated. But the NCIP did their due diligence. So the only thing that we had to operate off of were the trial transcripts. So we actually um, sent the transcripts to one of the premier child sexual assault um, experts in the state of California, who is director at UCSF Benioff Hospital and one of only approximately two dozen board certified child abuse pediatricians in California. He reviewed the transcripts. And he said it looked like this was false testimony and that what the nurse was testifying to as evidence of abuse was, in fact, potentially normal human anatomy. So with that and with some of the inconsistencies in the children's statements and testimonies, we were able to file a writ of habeas corpus based off of false medical evidence, new evidence, as well as ineffective assistance of counsel. After they filed their petition, Carla's team was granted an opportunity to show cause, which means they were finally able to get all of the records in the case. And find out really what happened in these medical exams. And with the medical records, we saw a box checked on the forms that said that there were videotapes. Which showed the physical examinations of the children's private parts. And so we were able to track down the videotapes of the children's exams and show those to our expert who was able to say conclusively, this is normal human anatomy. She didn't know what she was talking about. Meaning the nurse who had testified 
After reviewing the tapes, Catherine and her team were granted an evidentiary hearing where they could present this information to a judge and make their case that Carla is actually innocent. But their plans went in another direction. So we never got to the evidentiary hearing. What happened was we were very close to the evidentiary hearing and everyone was ready, including our big team of law students and um, Linda Starr and me. We were all ready when a report came in from the DA's medical expert who agreed with our expert that there was no evidence of sexual abuse. And then it was soon after that that they decided to stipulate to reverse Carla's conviction, which we then did. So what was that like for all of you? Oh, it was so exciting. So exciting. I mean, just felt like such a victory. But it was only the beginning. Because they then insisted that they were going to retry Carla on the original charges. So my question is, where were the children at this point? If they were going to retry, they would have to testify again. Well, that's an interesting question. They were no longer in the state, and it seemed like they were not going to testify at trial based on a notice that the DA had served upon us. So basically, because they no longer had the medical evidence, their case would have been the prior trial testimony of the children, which, again, one didn't testify, one said Carla didn't touch her, and the other testified inconsistently with some other reports of her, of her statement. Carla's innocence was evident at this point, and the state had an incredibly weak case. But they insisted on charging her with something. So they told her either accept a plea deal or face a retrial. And after 17 years in prison, Carla just wanted to go home. She didn't plead guilty to any charges of child molestation or abuse, but to a charge called false imprisonment, which basically means holding someone against their will. Carla was not guilty of this, nor of child molestation, but she had no choice. She accepted the plea and was released from prison. I still remember that day when they told me, Carla will be out. Oh my goodness. That was the best thing that I could ever ask. (laughs) You know, I was first of all thanking God because she was getting out. I was, how can I say, relieved that she was no longer in that place. But Carla's journey through the United States carceral system wasn't over. What would normally happen is there would be some processing and we were all waiting out in the hallway and Carla should have been walking joyfully out to us. But as I mentioned before, Carla is an undocumented immigrant. And so what happened was While we were waiting out in the hallway for Carla's release, ICE went in the back door and took Carla without telling us. Carla went straight from prison to the Ote Mesa Detention Center. The NCIP team was devastated. We had clothes for her. We wanted to give her a hug. There was no chance to celebrate um, any of the excitement of Carla being 
you know, released after all that time. Carla spent about a month in ICE detention before she was released and finally free. It was up and down. I was happy. I was sad. I was happy. I was sad. It was like a roller coaster for me. Carla currently has a lawsuit pending against the numerous parties whose misconduct led to her wrongful conviction. Among other things, the lawsuit alleges that the medical evidence against her was fabricated and condoned by county officials. These days, Carla works as a landscaper. It's good because I go be outside with the nature and then it's not too many people because I cannot be around too many people. I'm still battling with my struggles coming out because of when I cannot sleep with the lights off or I have to check the doors to be locked because you have to make sure that nobody's going to beat you up in prison. Considering the trauma she experienced from being in prison as well as from her journey to the U.S., I asked her about therapy. Yes, I have therapies every Wednesday. It's pretty good. So um, Erica, that's her name. She's She worked with exonerated people before, so so she's pretty good. So your, your spirit is still intact. You're smiling. Yes. yes, and then I have wonderful nieces and nephews that drive me nuts, you know? So it's like, <laughs> it's like I have my, my baby. They said she's my daughter because, you know, she's a little bit like me so so I go visit her and then sometimes I take her to the house and stay with us you know so in addition to the nieces and nephews around her Carla has a new loving partner Blanca I have a beautiful family she has a daughter oh I was gonna ask so so you have the family you always wanted yes 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 I do Carla is still afraid to return to Honduras and has applied for asylum in the U.S. If you'd like to help support the work of the Northern California Innocence Project, go to ncip.org slash get dash involved. Carla would especially like to thank Jim Montanaro for his generosity. Next time on Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling, Alicia Burns. You know, there were lots of things on TV about human trafficking and sex trafficking and, and what it looks like. And there was more awareness about it. And I thought... Oh my gosh, that's what happened to me. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Please support your local innocence organizations and go to the links in our bio to see how you can help. I'd like to thank our executive producers, Jason Flom and Kevin Wordis, as well as our senior producer, Annie Chelsea, researcher Lila Robinson, story editor Sonia Paul, with additional production by Jeff Clyburn and Connor Hall. The music in this production is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrongful Conviction, as well as at Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on both Instagram and Twitter at Maggie Freeling. Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts, in association with Signal Company Number One.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.